Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here, particularly our college students. We've missed you. Hope your summer was good. Um, for those of you who are like them, maybe been away this summer, or you're new here this morning, we are in the midst of a sermon series, kind of towards the end, uh, called Missio Nexus. Missio Nexus, those are two Latin words that simply mean mission and connection. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn uh, with me to Jeremiah 29. We're going to read verse 7 and verse 11. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some blue pew Bibles underneath uh, in front of you. You'll find our text on page 656. Yeah, 656. As I said, um, Missio Nexus, mission and connection. And so what we want to look at and what we've been looking at is where our lives and God's mission connect. Where do they intersect? And the short answer, of course, is that they connect everywhere. We've already seen how God's mission helps us connect to our neighbor, our teammates, our school, our home, and the culture. So where else does our life connect with God's mission? Well, a big place that happens is our workplace. In fact, the workplace is the one place that we spend more time than any other places, perhaps even combined. We will spend a third, maybe even up to a half of our life working. Given that, we better know what God thinks about work, about our work, and how he wants us to be on mission in our workplaces. To do that, I want to take us back to Babylon. Back to where we started this sermon series. Back to where the exiles like Daniel and his three friends are living. In Jeremiah 29, we were told that the exiles were going to be there for a while. Seventy years, as a matter of fact. Therefore, they shouldn't think about pausing their life, putting their life on hold like some of the false prophets had suggested. God tells them to build houses, to plant gardens, to start families. In other words, he tells them, put down roots. But he doesn't want them to put down roots just anywhere. The temptation, of course, would have been to live separate and isolated lives from the Babylonians. To live and work by themselves, for themselves. They may say, we may have to live in Babylon, but we don't have to love Babylon. It's easy to see why they would think that way given all that had happened to them and the the pagan culture that they now found themselves in, it's easy to see why they would have wanted to live and work for themselves. Some of us may think of our neighborhood or even our workplace in the same way. I may have to live in my neighborhood, but I don't have to love my neighborhood. I may have to work for this business or this school or this agency, but I don't have to love those places. I don't have to be for them. But is that what God wants for our neighborhood? Is that what he wants for our workplace? It's definitely not what God wanted for the Judeans in Babylon. So what did he want for these Judeans? More importantly, what does he want for us? And so to get that answer, let's turn to our text. Again, I'm reading Jeremiah 29, verse 7, and then also verse 11. But seek the flourishing of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its flourishing, you will find your flourishing. And then verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for flourishing and not for evil to give you a future and hope. 
Let's pray. Well, Father, your word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and it is a light unto our path. And we confess that we often walk around in darkness, whether that's because of unbelief or because of neglect or because your word is often just too hard. Father, we come before your word this morning eager to learn, eager to have the darkness exposed that we might have the light of Christ shine forth in and through us. And so would your Holy Spirit do that work for us. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Everybody loves a do-over. A chance to right a wrong. A chance to correct a mistake. A chance to start over. Some of you know that I started my career as an accountant. I was blessed to join a public accounting firm right after college. And it so happened that that firm was the firm my dad helped to start in Jackson, Mississippi. And though my father was a strong believer in Jesus, it was by no means a Christian firm. They hired the best and brightest regardless of their spiritual background. And I wish I could say that I saw that workplace as a place to flourish. But I didn't. I missed the opportunity to work for the flourishing of my coworkers, many of whom who did not trust in Jesus Christ. The truth is, I was consumed with insecurity because after all, I was the boss's son. I struggled to accept compliments from my coworkers, believing they were just simply trying to suck up to me. I was pretty self-absorbed and basically kept my head down and worked for that paycheck. It should come as no surprise that my time did not last very long there. After a year, I left the firm to enter vocational ministry in the church. And then the unexpected happened. Having been in vocational ministry for 22 years, I found myself back in that same accounting firm. You see, the church that Denise and I had started in Springfield was unable to thrive after just a few years, and we were forced to close that church. A few weeks after that, my father lost his six-month battle with lung cancer. At my dad's funeral, his partner asked if there was anything he could do for me. I told him I needed a job. He agreed to hire me uh, for that tax season. Now, he didn't have to hire me. After all, I had been out of accounting for a long time, but I'm so glad he did. You see, it gave me an opportunity for a do-over. I had always regretted the way I thought about and treated my coworkers that first time around. I had missed countless opportunities to flourish that workplace in the lives of my coworkers. I knew that God was giving me a second chance to make that right, and so I began to get to know my coworkers. I asked them about their lives, the things that they loved, the things that brought them joy or grief. I began to pray for them and those needs that they expressed. I sought to encourage them as relationships were forming around us. In some ways, I was able to care for them the same way my dad had cared for them all those many years that he had been in that firm. I went from keeping my head down to keeping my eyes open to look for ways I could flourish my workplace. How do you see your workplace? Whether it's a business an agency, a school, or your home? Do you see it as a place to flourish? More importantly, how does God see your workplace? And how might He want you 
to flourish it. Well, the first thing I think he wants you to see is that your workplace is a calling. It is a place of sentness. Now, that may surprise some of you. The idea that your workplace is a calling sounds more like something reserved for pastors or missionaries. But in fact, God has called. He has sent you by His all-powerful, His all-good and loving will to that workplace. Look back at verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Notice that the Israelites did not arrive into that city accidentally or coincidentally, but providentially. That is to say, God called them. He sent them to that city. For what purpose? Well, on the one hand, He sent them to Babylon because of their rebellion against God. He sent them that He might bring them back into a flourishing relationship with Himself. But He also sent them to Babylon to bring the Babylonians into a flourishing relationship with Himself as well. He wanted to conquer the hearts, minds, and souls of the Babylonians, not with force, but with flourishing, especially in their workplaces. Now, as I was getting ready for this sermon this week, I came across some recent archaeological findings from this particular time period. Now, these findings revealed that the Babylonian economy was struggling at the time of the exile. The infrastructure of the city was not keeping up with the increasing population. Their resources were being stretched to the point of breaking, and they needed help to keep the economy from collapsing. And so what did God do? God sent Judean skilled craftsmen and metal workers who could help build up the physical infrastructure. He took young men like Daniel and his three friends who could build up the leadership infrastructure. And to all the other exiles, he sent them into the city, into their workplaces to flourish them. Likewise, God has called you to a workplace. He has sent you with skills, training, experience, personality traits, desire, and vocational power to flourish your workplaces. And because God has called you to a place, you are accountable to Him. Accountable for how you work and for how you flourish that workplace. He didn't call you to some other workplace. He called you to the one that you're in. And when God calls you to a workplace, He doesn't send you alone. He goes with you. No matter how restrictive your workplace might be, no matter how hostile that workplace environment might be towards the gospel, God, through His Spirit, is with you and in you. Daniel and his three friends can testify to that firsthand. While your workplace might seem like a lion's den or a fiery furnace, Daniel experienced a real lion's den. And his three friends experienced a real fiery furnace. And in both instances, we read of God being present with these men in the midst of their trial. He was there and He delivered them. And because God calls you to your workplace, He is there with you in your office. He's with you in your cubicle. He's with you in your classroom. He's with you in the courtroom. So flourishing our workplaces begins with recognizing that we have been called, we have been sent to our workplaces. But secondly, as you seek to flourish your workplace, 
your workplace becomes a place of blessing. Now, how so? Look back at verse 7. But seek the flourishing of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its flourishing you will find your flourishing. Now, notice that last phrase. In its flourishing you will find your flourishing. Jeremiah is clear here. Our flourishing in the workplace is connected to our flourishing of the workplace. And when we flourish our workplace, they become conduits of blessing. Doesn't it strike you as being odd that God wanted to flourish the city and the workplaces of Babylon? That he wanted to bless them? I mean, after all, Babylon had a history of rebellion against God. Its earliest rebellion dated back to the building of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. A tower that was to touch the heavens and to make a name for themselves. And then up until the time of Nebuchadnezzar, they had worshipped many human-like gods, but never the one true God. And then when Nebuchadnezzar rose to power, he had a 900-foot-tall statue of himself built and called his citizens to worship that statue. We would expect judgment from God towards Babylon, not flourishing. We would expect God's wrath and not his kindness, but instead we see a grace and a mercy and a heart to flourish. But it's more than just that. We might assume that God's sole objective for Babylon was a, 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 like a nationwide spiritual awakening. Like something the prophet Jonah led in Nineveh 200 years earlier. Standing on the street corners, preaching a coming judgment unless the people repented. We might think that because we assume that nothing matters in life except a person's eternal destiny. But that's not what happened. God's plan was the flourishing of the whole city. Of course God wanted people to know and put their trust in Him. He wanted that because, as Augustine said, God has made us for Himself and restless are our hearts until they find their rest in Him. Many think that we are most human when we pursue our own path and our own truth. But it's just the opposite. We are most human when we follow God's path And His truth. And when that happens, we find rest. We find flourishing. We find our humanity. Now let me say, if you're here today, and you haven't put your trust in Christ's saving work on the cross, then the call for you today is to trust Him. That restlessness that you feel inside of you is His way of showing you that you were made for more. You are made for a relationship with God. And until you place your trust in Him, until you find your real and lasting flourishing in Him, you will remain restless. But God isn't just after individual transformation. You see, He's also after creation transformation. Our original sin didn't just bring a curse upon humanity. It brought a curse on all of creation. Because of that, there is fallenness and brokenness in every aspect of society, especially our workplaces. God isn't just about the renewing of lives, but about the renewing of all things, including the workplace. 
And so as God sends us into our workplaces to flourish them, the result of that flourishing is that our workplaces can become a place of blessing, a place of renewing. Now that certainly begins with the way that we work in our workplaces. We work creatively, diligently, compassionately, ethically, as if the Lord is our boss. Because you know what? He is. And we don't allow work to consume us because we know that our identity is not in our work. But it's not just how we work that matters, but how we treat those we work with and work for. We work not for our own glory, but for the shared glory of others. We are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger with those we work with. We work not simply to make the largest profit possible, but we share those profits for those that we work for and work with. And a great example of sharing profits is found in the book of Leviticus. When God was forming the Hebrew nation, he gave them laws that were to govern their lives and their relationships, including their workplaces. One of those laws was the law of gleaning, which we find in Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. And since most were farmers in that day, their workplaces were their fields. And so God instructed them that when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now what's God saying here? He's saying that your workplace is not to be an individual blessing to you, but a shared blessing to those around you. And we see a captivating example of gleaning in the book of uh, Ruth. You may remember that Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi are coming back into Israel, having been gone a long time. They are coming without husbands. They are coming without income. But because of the law of gleaning, Ruth is able to work in Boaz's vineyard. She's able to glean the leftover grain and provide both Naomi and herself with food in a way that she couldn't have done otherwise. Boaz's workplace wasn't just a place of blessing for Boaz or even his workers. It was a place of blessing for Ruth and Naomi. And as God used Boaz to bless Ruth and Naomi, God also used Ruth to bless Boaz when she became his wife. Now, as, uh, this is an important aside. I, I want you to notice that God didn't say in the Leviticus code, reap every last bit of your harvest and go back as many times as necessary to get all the grain or grapes. And then when you've done that, go and give a portion of your crop to the poor. Nor did he say, go and sell a portion of those collected crops and give the money to the poor. Now, why didn't he say that? Because that would not have been a blessing to the poor or the sojourner. They wouldn't have had the dignity of working to collect that grain or grapes. They wouldn't have had the blessing of working for what they ate. That principle alone should have us rethink our poverty alleviation strategies as a church and as a society. So I ask you, how might your workplace become a place of blessing? 
How might it be a blessing not only to those you work with or for or under, but also for your clients, your customers, your vendors, your students? How might you work so that your workplace flourishes spiritually, relationally, and economically? Now, for some of you, I know that you've thought about and you've intentionally operated your business that way. You operate your classroom that way. You, you operate your courtroom that way. But for others of us, a workplace that brings blessing might be a new idea. And I have a feeling you might need some time to think through and process what does that look like. And if, if that is you, I would encourage you to read one of two books by Amy Sherman. Now, if you attended our 2018 mission conference, you would have heard Amy speak on her first book, which is called Kingdom Calling. Uh, some of you are in Pastor Mike's business discipleship course some couple of years back, and that was the text that you all used. She's recently wrote a new book that's just come out called Agents of Flourishing. And in this book, she really fleshes out the different areas of life that need flourishing and how we as God's people can bring that about. It also has great case studies featuring businesses, churches, and people who are seeking to flourish their workplaces and other areas of life. But all of this is for naught if we miss the last aspect of flourishing. And that is that your workplace is a ministry. Specifically, it is a ministry of prayer. Now notice how God frames it in verse 7. But seek the flourishing of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its flourishing, you will find your flourishing. Now, the call to prayer here implies that the work of flourishing Babylonian small businesses or construction companies or government offices was spiritual at its core. And what I mean by that is that these Judeans might be able to positively change the behavior of their co-workers or supervisors, but they could not change their hearts. Only God can animate the heart of a worker or a boss or a supervisor or a workplace so that they can flourish fully. And prayer is the means God has ordained for that to happen. And this is not going to come as a surprise to you, I know, but the same is absolutely true for us today. The only way God can flourish your workplace, the only way that hearts will be changed is if God changes them. And because this is a spiritual work, I should say it's not going to come without opposition. We have an enemy who loves nothing more than to disrupt and to create chaos in our lives and our workplaces. Many of you have read C.S. Lewis's beloved classic, The Screwtape Letters. In this book, Lewis gives us a glimpse of the spiritual realm of this world, but from the devil's point of view. And he does that using fictional letters from a senior devil to a junior devil, outlining strategies for preventing his patient from becoming a Christian. And then once he does, strategies for how to undo it. The most chilling strategy to me comes when he talks about using prosperity to unravel the patient's soul after he has become a Christian. The senior devil writes this, Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. 
his increasing reputation, his widening circle of acquaintances, his sense of importance. The growing pressures of absorbing an agreeable work build up in him a sense of being really at home in earth, which is just what we want. You will notice that the young are generally more willing to die than the middle-aged and the old. Now, every time I read this, it chills me because we live in the most prosperous nation in the world. And our enemy Satan uses even the prosperity, the, the economic flourishing of a company or even a country as a tool to destroy people's lives, to cripple them from knowing where real flourishing is found, which is in Christ. My question for you this morning is how well do you know the hearts of your co-workers? Do you know the things that trouble their soul? Do you know the things that they trust in beside the Lord? Are you praying that God would reveal himself to them that they might know true flourishing? You see, the more that we enter into the lives of our co-workers, our bosses, our employees, the more specifically we can pray that God would meet them at their point of need in order to flourish them in Christ. Now, I feel like I need to address the elephant in the room at this point. Some of you have been thinking all along, that's great and all, but I don't like my job. It's hard for me to try and flourish my workplace when I don't feel like I'm flourishing at all. And if that's where you are, then I would encourage you to do two things. First, if you haven't already, pray to the Lord about your frustration, your lack of flourishing. Pray to Him about it. Ask Him for discernment as to why you feel the way that you do. Is it because you're unable to do the work? Is it because your work environment is toxic? Is it because you're working too many hours? Ask the Lord to show you the root of that frustration. The second thing I would encourage you to do would be to, to reach out for help. As God shows you the source of your workplace frustration, seek counsel from trusted friends, maybe even a co-worker, one of the pastors here at Rivermont. Meeting with someone to process your frustrations can be helpful as well as having them pray for you. And let me encourage all of us with this. Flourishing a pagan city was not easy. There were definitely Judeans who questioned what God was up to. They wondered if he knew what he was doing, and if so, how long would they have to continue enduring in the work of flourishing? Flourishing your workplace won't be easy either. And the questions the Judeans asked will likely be the very things you wonder about in your own workplace. Can God really change hearts? Can he really bring blessing? God answers those questions in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. God's plan wasn't to flourish the Babylonians at the expense of diminishing the Judeans. And God's plan isn't to flourish your workplace at the expense of diminishing you. It may be that the flourishing you're expecting is going to look different. It may stretch you. In fact, actually, it will stretch you. It will place you on your knees, which is precisely where we should be. 
Let's pray on behalf of our workplaces that God will flourish those workplaces even as he flourishes us. Let's pray. Father, that is our desire that you would create in and through us a workplace that flourishes, that is centered on, that is rooted in, that operates out of flourishing in Christ. And would you use my brothers and sisters in their workplaces to bring the light of the gospel to bear through their work, through the way that they treat their co-workers, and through their testimony of your goodness and your grace. God, we would seek nothing short of a revival in our workplaces and in our neighborhood, in our city. And we know that only you can do that through us. And so would you do that? And would you give us the courage to follow you as you lead us and guide us? To that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.